Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have called us in him by the work of your spirit through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform us, to usher us into our future glory in Jesus. So we pray that everything that we do today, everything that we say, everything that we think, every fiber in our being will be longing, longing to be like Jesus, longing to display his glory and to give him glory. And so please work in us by the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me talk a little bit from Ephesians chapter 6. We'll, we'll, we'll read it in a minute. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to verse 20. I'll connect that with the church, but I'll especially connect that with marriage relationship. As I just bring out something about spiritual warfare in marriage. And actually in parenting as well. In the church, spiritual warfare. So let me read. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil days, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the, dev of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, let's orient ourselves a little bit into Ephesians. How did we get here? I'll go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. In fact, the whole of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul has been talking about what God has done. You can summarize it in that way. God has done something. He begins it in chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the, foundations of the, the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So he's blessed us in Christ. That's how Paul begins. He says, praise God, praise God, praise God because he has blessed us. He has done something that nothing on earth can do. And in chapter 2, he says that he has raised us up. We were spiritually dead, dead people before God. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he carries on in verse 4. He says, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then he carries on. So these early chapters, Paul wants us to get it because he's going to tell them to do something. He's going to tell them to have a particular mindset. But he's very, very careful to remind them that that flows out of the power of this great good news, what God has done in, in their lives. There is, there is an imperative. How do I put it simply? There is a way of thinking. There is a way of feeling. There is a way of doing that arise from what God has done for us, to us, in us, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, chapters 1 to 3, he's saying that the Christian life is this. The reason why you're a Christian, the reason why you are alive to God, is that your life is in union with that of Christ. Your, your life is united with that of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he hits chapter 4. He says, do you know the implication of these things? Do you know what these things do when your life, when you have been raised with Christ by the power of the Spirit, your life is united with His? It changes everything. It changes everything. So he says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, or therefore I, as a result of all these things that have gone before, all these things that I've talked about, all the prayers that I've prayed for you in chapter 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is a calling that believers have been called. That is what he has explained. He is not calling them to something that he focuses the attention on themselves. He said, the reason I can confidently call you to walk in this manner is because of what has happened and what is happening to you in Jesus. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, calls you to walk in a manner that is in accordance with the calling that you have been called in Jesus. What is that? Chapter 4, verse 2. Look at it. This is, this is part of walking in the manner that accords with, a one, um, with someone whose life is in union with that of Jesus. With all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
Verse 12, building each other up. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Verse 17, a completely different lifestyle from what we used to be, from that of the Gentiles. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, of their thinking. No, that is past. That is from the past. And then verse 22 to 24 of the same chapter, he begins to talk about this. That is my favorite illustration, one of my favorite illustrations that Paul uses. It's like dressing, to put off, put off the old self. <clears throat> the old self has been crucified with Christ. Now actively, because of what God has done for you in Christ, the supply of the Holy Spirit, now put off, put it off, the old self, <laughs> continually be putting it off. And then put on, put on, put on all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, building each other up, Speaking the truth in love, a totally different lifestyle. Practice it. Put it on. Verse 26. Have a different kind of expression of anger. He's not saying don't be angry. Oh, well, you've got to be angry at something. <clears throat> but in your anger, do not sin. There is an ungodly anger. And there is a godly one. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. Whilst you are still holding on to the same thing, he says. And then he says something that is so surprising. Verse 27 of chapter 4. He says, And give no opportunity to the devil. That is strange. With the things he's been talking about. You've been talking about the way we live and behave in accordance with the gospel, in accordance with being in Jesus, in accordance with being born again. And now he says in verse 27, don't give any opportunity to the devil, which means that there are things that are done. You know, the picture is someone who is lurking around, just looking for an opportunity. Imagine um, a parent's who leaves a child with some snacks. And then there is this guy who is lurking around to see if somehow the child will lose God small, and then he'll just take. Or if you have been to the beach, you know this bird, seagull. You know seagull. <clears throat> Those white birds, you know them. Try it. I don't know if we have them at uh, Labadi Beach. But... When they are moving around, okay, and you have food in your hands, they look for opportunity. They will just grab it and go away. That is, if you open up your arm, you don't cover it. Or <clears throat> in South Africa, in a place um, in Cape Town, your, your place, they have, um, is it baboons, all over the place. And if you make the mistake of driving through and then you stop, and somehow your door isn't locked, <laughs> they come and they literally hold it and open it, looking for food. 
for those people who have their houses around, they will actually come into the house, literally open the fridge. I don't know who taught them that. But they're always looking for opportunity to test if the door is actually locked. It's, it's strange. If they were in Ghana, we'd say demonic, but it's not. It's just their nature. <laughs> he says, do not give any opportunity to the devil. There are opportunities that we give, that he takes, that he expands. He is opportunistic, and we are opportunity givers by our behavior. There are things we do that he takes, and I'll come back to that. Why he talks about don't give any opportunity to the devil. In relating in the church, you know, as we are, people come together, they never want to leave, and they are chatting and having fellowship. He is lurking around. Somebody says something, somebody is misunderstood, and instead of actually going to ask, did you actually mean this? They rest on it. They think about it. He actually meant this. You see the way he looked at me, she looked at me and said this, then it really meant, and then they brood over it. That is an opportunity for the devil. He is going to help you to cultivate it. And then before you know it, you have grown a poisonous tree in the church. Not only that, opportunity when we begin to talk to each other about offense without actually talking to the perceived offender. Oh, really? And this one doesn't also ask the offender that I was told by the perceived offended that this has happened. And then this one believes everything that has been said. And before you know it, Satan is taking opportunities among the children of God. He's destroying the church. Not just Redeemer City Church, the body of Christ. Nothing is so destructive. In fact, in Ephesians, you would realize how much Paul has spent time talking about unity, 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 unity. One of the things that in my little experience I've realized is the devil always looks for opportunity for one thing. Create this unity. Create this unity. If you manage to create this unity between them, among them, you will for sure stall their ministry progress. You will destroy everything. Don't care about their ties. Don't care about anything. Don't, don't, don't be bothered. Go for some of these things without humility, without gentleness, without patience, without bearing with one another in love, building each other up. Speaking the truth in love. Not just acting in love, but that leads nowhere. Not just speaking the truth without love, that just destroys. But actually, training ourselves to ask questions like, what do I want to achieve in wanting to speak this? How can I speak it such that it does that work of building up? You don't only build up through encouragement, do you? Sometimes you build up through rebuke. But there is a way of rebuking somebody. You know, you, you tell somebody the truth sometimes, and then the person says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling me this. And then sometimes you tell another person, um, so another person will tell the same truth, 
And then people go home wailing. Their self-esteem hurts. Discouraged. The same thing. Without wisdom of knowing how to speak the truth in love. And the person who does this so well is the Lord Jesus. Anytime I read the Gospels and I'm looking at him, he, he is incredibly amazing when he's dealing with Zacchaeus. And he never minces words telling Zacchaeus, you need to be saved. Come down. Today I'll be in your house. You need to be invited. Oh, today I'll be there. And Zacchaeus have, uh, receives this man and or he's sitting among prostitutes. I bet you they didn't like what he was saying. But there was something about the way he said it, I believe, that they couldn't leave him. Until he is called friends of sinners. He speaks truth to sinners. Yet he speaks it, he embodies grace and truth. There is no grace without truth, is there? And there is real truth always is wrapped up in grace. So the manner of acting, speaking, thinking, moving towards each other could serve as an opportunity for our enemy. Just destroy it. He's not interested you know, Satan is not even interested in our jobs and uh, interested in our cars. and interested. Non-believers have more, more of these things. He's interested in our unity, our union, reflecting Christ more. So how do you, again, let me please spend a bit more, a few minutes here. How do you not give him opportunity? Look at chapter 4 and verse 29. Verse 29, he says, what? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and is fit, uh, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting, decaying, something that is said to someone and it eats you up from within. You begin to decay from within. It's a corrupting talk. He's not just talking about vulgar language, something with sexual connotation. He's talking about something that you hear that for years, for months, for weeks, for days, you think about it. You're not able to sleep. You can't believe you heard that towards you. Verse 31, he talks about bitterness and wrath and anger. These things create opportunities for the devil. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. They are destructive. I'll apply these things to marriage and the home a little bit, but think of the church first because the, the, the marriage, as you know, um, has been said to be a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. But let's think of the church first, if we are to understand how he applies it later. So don't give opportunity. And then verse 32 of the same chapter 4, he said, kindness, kindness. 
for, forgiveness. And then he points to the gospel. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Kindness, kind words. Just coming at the back of corrupting talk. Not the talk that builds up, but the one that tears down. Bitterness and wrath and anger and, and, and clamor and slander. Let me give you an example in the church. When somebody does some work, it didn't go 100% the way you expected. You know, we are all prone to this. Look for, to start with, before you correct, before we correct, let's look for the thing that went well and go and magnify. Talk about it. Don't say you are giving glory to the person. Make sure you don't give glory to the person as we have prayed. There's a way of going about these things, but that's, not, that's beside the point. Go and encourage. Build up. And say, the other side of it, I think you could have done it this way, and then it will make the whole thing great. There is a way of moving towards people that builds up kind words. Not flattery words. They are different things. Flattery is to say something that is actually not real. It's not there. You're just saying it because, and, and flattery always goes with selfish motives. Just want to have your way with the person. It's like um, the, the officials in Daniel's day. They have such a corrupt motive. They go to the king and say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. <laughs> Which is a manner of speaking to the king. Say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. We have something you need to agree with us on. Now, why is he, let me go back, why is he giving this warning about not giving opportunity to the devil and then listing the things that we do to give him opportunities and the things that we can do not to give him opportunities? The reason is that we have an enemy. The church has an enemy. The church has an enemy who is real. Satan, the devil, is real. Nobody talks of him more than Jesus himself. He is real. He is not all-powerful. That's not the point. But he is real. And the reality is that he seeks to operate against the church. The church is the bride of Jesus. He can't hurt Jesus. Not directly. I will hurt his bride. I will attack his bride. And then I will hurt him. For those of you who are husbands... If somebody talks down on, let's say you go for a family meeting, uh, for those of you who are Ghanaians in this culture, you go for a family meeting, and because we are so hierarchical, and everybody, we've got the older, the one, the one, the one, everybody knows where they are placed. And maybe, like in my case, your wife is the last born. So everybody comes and they talk as though they are talking to the last born. And I'm standing there, say, hey, Jack, that's my wife. I don't care if that's your little sister. That is my wife. That is the mother of my children. You've got to know where. Otherwise, I'll stand in the way, buddy, and we will exchange. I remember having um, an occasion like that. Someone talking big. I'm sitting there. I'm trying to be like a pastor. 
just listen to the issues. But like, when you're talking to her, it's, so I said, okay, you know what? I think this one, the Lord will approve of it. Let's put the dog collar on the side for now and say the way you're talking to my wife, not the way you're talking to your sister, the way you're talking to my wife is totally unacceptable. Then he got annoyed with me. Who cares? But come back to the Lord. We have an enemy who hates the Lord Jesus. He hates everything about the cross. He hates it. He hates it. His nature is hatred. And therefore, he hates the church. And so he goes for the church in order to hurt the groom. It's very strange that in this same Ephesians, Paul, he says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He talks about it. Hmm. There are some things that can grieve God. <laughs> strange. And so, in, by chapter 6, he says, of all the things that I have said, now listen, somebody wrestles against you. We wrestle with someone. Yes, victory. We wrestle from a position of victory. We wrestle nonetheless. And finally, <clears throat> verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He reminds them where they'll be fighting from. The strength of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He will scheme in the church. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Not ourselves. Not human beings. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He comes for us. And so without going too much into what this spiritual, uh, uh, um, spiritual warfare actually looks like, that's not my goal, to explain this portion of chapter 6. It's just to remind us that do not give opportunity to the devil because you have an enemy. You have an enemy who is, we wrestle against. So all these struggles that sometimes we have relationally, all these struggles, even though we are 100% responsible, we've got somebody who is behind us and instigating and influencing, and at every opportunity, he would jump into the middle and coach us as to how we can really destroy ourselves. When you watch football matches, when we used to watch, uh, not, the, not the official one, but the unofficial one, hey, this time. we used to go into the bush. Uh, growing up in Bibuyashi, there was a place called Cable and Wireless. I don't know why we called it Cable and Wireless. They had a football field, and that was when they played coast. I don't know why they call it coast. Um, this informal football, I was actually part Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I will get up in the morning, my younger brother and I will go to the field. We trained. We trained. I've told you this story before. You, when you arrive, you have to go around the field like five times. Then the coach is watching because there are about 40 of us. You have to select. And then after that, he will line all of us up. 
So he will split into two teams. You go there. And you'll be speaking Ga. And then for some reason, brothers and sisters, anytime he got to my turn, my brother and I, I'm in front of my brother, I'm taller than my brother, so he will not tap our shoulder, he will tap our heads <laughs> like this. <laughs> he said, those of you who understand God, he will tap our heads and say, <laughs> which simply means, you go this way, you are good for nothing. <laughs> After all the hard work, and it continued for a while. <laughs> now, when people were playing football then, there were these people who always walked on the sidelines, who give instruction to, they are not the coaches. They just look for opportunity to show that they are someone's. They say, oh, play this way, play that way. As soon as you begin to listen to them on the sideline, they take more authority and informally act as your coach. Before you know it, they are forming the team around themselves. Satan. That's not, not them. That's the devil's attitude. Looking for opportunity, walking on the sidelines, saying some things, paying attention, saying some things, paying attention, saying some things, paying attention, and before you know it, he's taking control and he's dictating what actually happens. So church, watch out. Rejoice and watch out. But let's come and apply and finish up by applying this to the home. The home. Guys, our marriages aren't just about what we are. There is a whole spiritual warfare surrounding it. Because the Christian marriage is designed, in fact, marriage in general, the Christian marriage, the redeemed people's marriage in particular, is supposed to reflect Christ and the way we've been talking about time and again. If it reflects Christ and the church, and he hates the church, he goes for anything that stands for it. Anything that is a picture to the world about it. And so all that Paul has talked about, you can apply it to the home. Satan is going to go for our marriages. And don't give him the opportunity. Don't. Don't. So when he's talking about forgiving one another, it's not just being nice. He's saying that if you don't, he will take advantage of your own heart and destroy things. Speaking gently, gentleness, and the very thing that he's talked about earlier, gentleness, humili- all humility, patience, bearing with one another in love, building each other up, speaking the truth in love, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, being angry without sin, and all these other things. He's saying that because there is a devil. I don't know how you're relating with your spouse. I don't know how you're relating with your children. I don't know how children are relating with their parents. Sometimes when parents are helping younger ones build up, they think you are a pain in the neck. They don't realize Forgive your wife. Forgive your husband. Totally. Have a bit of godly carefreeness. You don't know what godly carefreeness is. And yet we are now taking it too seriously. It's not everything that you attach all seriousness to. Every word. 
No, just relax. Life in Christ is nicer than that. And then let me say this to finish by way of quick, um, just applying it. One of the key ways that Satan takes advantage is with our words and actions. Two, words and actions, words and actions, words and actions. Can I ask, can I ask wives first, can you make it your goal that you be a huge encouragement to your husbands? Let me tell you, men, we are small sometimes within. And for a man who is seeking to be godly, not wanting to go after other women or resisting all these things going on around us, our biggest source of encouragement is our wives. If they tear us down, we are torn. Yeah, I have your identity in Christ. Yeah, I know. But we are instruments that the Lord uses in shaping this identity. That's why he brought us together. You make it your goal. We know we always talk for the men, uh, for the ladies, that men are to serve them. That is true. But make it your goal that you, you be an Let your words encourage them. When you see that your husband has done something that is good, um, 10 out of the 100%, the 10 is good. The 90% is terrible. Begin with the 10. That is good. Encourage and say, darling, or whatever name you call them. In my case, it is K, which is very cool. Don't tell her I just said, which is Kweku. <laughs> but capitalize on that and encourage us. We need your encouragement to be godly men. It's hard. It's hard. The Spirit wants to use you to help us be godly. So encourage us. When we do things that are good, say them. When we take good care of the kids, say it. Sing it. Remind us. Tell us that we are good daddies. But let it be true. <laughs> let it be just at least a 5%. I'm not talking about 100%. Tell us that we are good daddies. Tell us that we are doing well. Tell us that you appreciate us. Satan won't have opportunity to tear us down. So a lot of us, we're walking around and we feel so down. We feel so hurt. But we've got to be manly too. And so before we know it, we are destroyed within. And we can't talk to our bodies sometimes because we don't want the opinion of us to change and think that we are weak. The only person who knows us through and through is our wives. Imagine when I preach, and I know it, that it didn't go well. It didn't go well. But my wife looks for something good in it, and then I come out and says, wow, when you said that thing, <laughs> oh, that was helpful. I know what will follow. <laughs> but at least this is a good way of starting. I said, oh, really? Tell me more about that. Oh, when you said it this way, when you said, I found it so helpful. So sometimes you should begin with a good one. I know, but at least. So all jokes aside, I just want to encourage the wives. I know I've not spoken for the wives, but at least today I'm appealing on our behalf. Because throughout the last couple of days, it is men serve your wives, rightly so. If you are not serving your wife, you are a fool. If you are not serving your wife, you are a fool. If you are the boss in the home, you are a fool. You are being ungodly. That's not Christ. I mean, let's not even talk about it. 
But this time I'm appealing on my behalf and on behalf of the brothers that help us to be godly so that we don't give any opportunity to the devil in our homes. Amen. Let me pray. Let's think about these things as we share in the Holy Communion. Pray that the Lord will help us to put off this old behavior and to put on that likeness in Christ. And part of it is this kindness, kind words, kind actions towards one another in the church. Resolving that whether you are rebuking or you are encouraging, you want your words in Christ to build up. They should be truthful and they should build up, not tear down. And for those of you who are married or prospect marriage, that's for you, you want by the grace of God your position, your position to be building up. For those of you who are living with your parents, that you, you'll be an encouragement to them. you say things to them. And that we will say things to our kids. You know why? Because of what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead. 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 It wasn't like you were half dead. You were dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By his grace. If we understand this grace, we experience it, it moves us to good works. And then it moves us not to give opportunities to the devil in our homes.